Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Sixers fans, Philly gives up a chance to complete the sweep, loses to the Raptors in what was an ugly game. Toronto ultimately pulled away 1-110-102. Before we jump into that, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Joining me for this one, as he usually does on the post game, Mr. Jackson Frank. Jackson, a disappointing outing for the Sixers Lots of stuff that we saw during the regular season, especially during losses, kind of came out again in this one. How did you think that the Sixers played overall, and what do you think ultimately went wrong in this game? Yeah, I don't think they played very well. I think this is kind of what people expected who thought Toronto would either have a really good chance or would you know, even win the series. Um, you know, it was kind of their vision for this. Um, the length and kind of the mobility – of those Toronto perimeter defenders and those wings really give the Sixers issues. They shot well from three, you know, 13 of 31, almost 42%, but um, only 21 of 49 inside the arc. Um, you generally want to shoot for at least above 50% on your two pointers. And they weren't even close to that. So um, that was a big issue. Um, you know, they, the, the Raptors did a better job of switching Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid off of Pascal Siakam. I thought in the first three games, it was a lot of ISO ball for Siakam, just kind of do your thing. And, the Sixers have two pretty good defenders for him. Uh, in this game, they set more screens. He got chances against, you know, Danny Green, George Niang, uh, a couple other guys at times as well. So that that helps. Obviously, Pascal hit some tough shots as well. Uh, but, yeah, it just came down to they they couldn't score inside the arc because Toronto has all that length. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I thought Joel struggled a little bit with the double teams, but I also just thought he wasn't – I thought – I thought at times he was a little too passive and I also thought they didn't look for him enough. There were definitely instances where he had good position and they didn't get on the ball and he was clearly frustrated. Um, now you, you know, ideally you don't have that effect how often you, you get that deep position, but it's also hard to get deep position against those guys against any NBA player. So I understand it from all sides, but yeah, it just came down to Toronto having a little better game plan to unlock its best player offensively. And um, you know, they, they were better on the glass, you know, they had, I think, uh, 13 offensive rebounds. I think most of those came in the first three quarters. Um, and so um, a lot of things went right for the Raptors, but it was also things that they did well to both exploit flaws of the Sixers team and on both ends. So, um, you know, by no means is it time to panic if you're the Sixers or Sixers fans, but um, it's a good reminder that the Raptors can do some things to take advantage of this, of the Sixers. And this team clearly has notable flaws. And if it wants to go where it intends to, um, it has to kind of, you firing on all, all cylinders, at least five guys, right? You didn't really feel like you had five guys all connected today, and that was an issue. Yeah, you mentioned it. Bigger, bigger picture, still got a, a split in Toronto. So you're still up three to one before going into game four on Monday. You mentioned Pascal Siakam Jackson. He had 34 points in this one. Like you said, hit some tough shots. Gary Trent Jr. 
played his best game of the series. He had 24 points, but the Raptors did suffer a pretty big loss. Fred Van Fleet dealing with a hip issue, ultimately left the game. Uh, looked like he knew it right away when when he left the court, ripped his jersey, Hulk Hogan style. Uh, so I don't think he might be back, at least for game four. Also, Scotty Barnes was in the lineup for this one, appeared to tweak his ankle, but he had an impact too. Six points, 11 rebounds, looked pretty good on the defensive end, not great on the offensive end. But getting back to the Sixers, Jackson, you mentioned Joel Embiid. So the Raptors really did a good job of A, not giving him position. He was catching the ball a lot of the time, either from the free throw line extended over towards the, the 45 or getting it at the in the high post. And as soon as he was catching the ball, they were basically jumping him with a double. And he made some pretty bad passes, ultimately ended up with five turnovers. But when you're looking at some of the adjustments now that Doc and the coaching staff have to look at making before going into game five, uh, looking at this now, Embiid didn't get his first field goal attempt until there was less than five minutes remaining in the fourth. And going into the final quarter, it was only a three-point game. So when you're looking at what the coaching staff has to drum up, Jackson, for game five, how would you try and maybe get Joel open and, and get him some better looks if the Raptors are going to continue to do that throughout the series? Yeah, I, I would note, you know, I'm not saying Joel you know, was the level of player he needs to be. You know, he has to, you know, Generally speaking, you want him to be the game two and three player where he was, you know, an MVP caliber player. But I do think there were some miscommunications, had a couple of plays with with Shake where he thought Shake would stay on the perimeter and Shake yeah. cut. Um, generally, like, I don't want him that's just like it's Shake's fault, but generally, there, like, there's very, like, I know when I covered the, when I was like in media sessions last year, Doc talked about how many designated shooters and cutters and kind of the, the discrepancy there. Shake, at least in my read, watching the team is more of a shooter. So um, try to at least shore that up. Um, but, but yeah, I think, you know, in the, I mean, OG, I know we had a ridiculous read for a steal on that skip pass, um, was a really awesome play. Garrett and Gina had another one as well, but, um, I, I think what the Sixers have a tendency to do at times is when Joel's own shot isn't falling or he's not having as much success creating for himself, they tend to go away from him, but he still puts so much pressure on the defense and is generally a pretty good passer that you feel like you're going to get a decent process out of that stuff. Now the the Raptors did well to run guys off the arc. Um, Danny had a couple of plays early in the, early in the first half where it's like, Danny, let's maybe not take that many dribbles on a, on a possession. <laughs> um, but I think you just got to continue to get him the ball. And I know it's hard. Like it's, I'm not saying like he has to have like a 45% usage rate. I know it's hard to create that much, but he just puts so much pressure on this on this Toronto defense, especially that I think you can't go away from him even when his shot isn't falling or maybe some of the touches are tougher and I know that maybe they don't want to put everything on him, especially when they're, you know, at least in game four, they're up 3-0 because Toronto's handsy. You saw at times like, you know, they were digging at the ball and he was he was going to his thumb. I don't want to overblow the the thumb stuff, the TNT broadcast, who did a pretty good job overall, was a little too much harping on it, especially in the first half. But um, so I understand maybe why they're not going to Joel as much, but it's just a recognition that he puts so much pressure and opens things up for everyone else. So you got to keep getting those touches. Um I thought they didn't go to him enough at the free throw line. That was a big adjustment they made in game three, less stuff in the mid post on the wings and more at the free throw line face up um, and whatnot. So uh, that, that could be an adjustment, but I just think, you know, it's, you know, even though Scotty was Scotty Barnes limited and Fred Van Vliet only played, you know, the first quarter and a half, it's still a very good team that is fighting for his life. And um, the Sixers weren't as sharp as they've been in the first three games. And, and so, you know, the, it's, it's tough to sweep a team. It's tough to win a four or five series four out. So, um, you know, of course, the Sixers need to be that consistent team to, to win a title, as we've talked about on previous podcasts. But, um, you know, there's just, you know, you can't 
you can't be perfect every game. And if you can, then you're probably a really, really good team and not, not the four seed, even with everything the Sixers went through, which is not to say they can't win, but um, there's a level of consistency they haven't operated at um, most of this year that, you know, is just something you kind of have to bake, bake into them at this point, I think. Well, I got to say too, that the officiating Scott Foster uh, didn't really help. I mean, 26 fouls called on the Sixers, some ticky tack ones called, especially on Tobias Harris, who I think is still playing a very, very high level of basketball. He had 15 points, 11 rebounds in this game. Uh, he had five personals in this game. George Niang fouled out. But when you look at the job that the Raptors did in order to earn some of these calls, right? They, they were a lot more aggressive than we've seen. And the Sixers didn't play great by any means in game three. We're able to ultimately pull it out, obviously, with Joel's miraculous shot at the end of OT there. But looking at this now, Jackson, especially from the defensive standpoint, you mentioned what with Pascal Siakam, they were getting a lot of switches off of Toby, off of Joel. And we saw... Pascal basically cooking George Niang anytime he's on him. What other things do you think that the Sixers might try and do differently on the defensive end to try and slow the Raptors down and play to the level they did in games one and two when they when they held Toronto to putrid offense uh, performances in both games? Yeah, I think one thing you would look for, at least when Tobias and Joel are out there together against Siakam, which is generally most of the minutes because all three of those guys are playing 38 to four. I mean, I think Siakam played 44 minutes today. So just generally 38 to 44, I think in that range mm -hmm. is whoever is the primary defender there, right? Whether it's Tobias or, or Joel to start a possession and you see someone coming to set a screen, you want to get Joel to be the guy who's switching there, right? The, uh, the common term is a priest, which a lot of teams will do it to, you know, in the inverse, we'll, they'll avoid having a suboptimal defender switch. In this case, you'd want to put a better defender because, you know, like, like we said, Siakam was getting it where he wanted against Niang. Niang played heavy minutes with Danny Green struggling today. And Niang, you know, hit three or four threes. was pretty important in that that third quarter, I thought. Or maybe in that second quarter, going to keep things within striking distance as a shooter, as a release valve guy. Um, but clearly not equipped to guard him. Guard Pascal, I should say. Paul Reed, I thought, was okay in his minutes on Siakam. Siakam just hit some tough shots on him. Um, you know, Maxi obviously just too small. I think get a couple of buckets on Maxi there. Um, I remember a play late that maybe was almost kind of the game clincher where they, they had Gary Trent to the screen for uh, Pascal and Maxi was kind of showing to deter a drive from Pascal, but then Gary Trent was open and he drove to the rim because it was open because Embiid was, was on Pascal. So um, just being really diligent about who is allowed to guard Siakam, I guess would be like, you just, mm -hmm. and I, I think, I, I don't know if I talked about this on a podcast, but I definitely wrote about it that, there's a lot of guys in the Sixers who are favorable matchups for Pascal and in, in game four, he got those matchups more often than he did in games one through three. So um, just being diligent about those things and trying pre-switches and making sure that one of Joel or Tobias is on the floor at all times uh, when Pascal is out there. And, you know, as I mentioned, Pascal is going to be out there for the majority of these minutes, as long as the series goes. So um, that's the big adjustment I would make to try and, you know, prevent Siakam from having another big game. Yeah, and, and and looking at this too, like the impact of not having Van Bleet obviously is is going to be big on the Raptors. But Scotty Barnes is going to have an extra day now to to you know rest up and, and get ready for for Game Five. But looking at this again from a Sixers perspective, Tyrese Maxey four of twelve, James Harden five of seventeen combined to go nine of twenty nine from the field. We saw how good Maxey was, especially in the first two games. Uh, looking at this now, is there anything that the Sixers particularly need to do to try and get those guys going, whether that's getting, letting Maxi maybe play a little bit more of the point role or be the, the setup guy at the, at the top of the key. 
Uh, on the offensive end, just because we've seen Harden struggle, although he did have nine assists and, and has been a great playmaker in that regard. But if those two guys aren't putting up points when Joel has a game like he does, like the Sixers aren't going to win many. So when you're looking at it, especially with Maxi's standpoint, how do you how do you try and get those two going, Jackson? Because again, to me, like w- watching this game, Tyrese Maxi didn't score his first point, I believe, until the second quarter, or had his first basket until the second quarter. And you're just looking at the at the differences that are coming with the Sixers. Again, I'm not looking at the bigger picture, we're acting like they're down three, one, but they're, they're still up three, one, but in order to get things rolling again, going back to Philly, cause you don't want to go back to Toronto for a game six now, right? You lose the next one, all the pressures on the Sixers to, to get this thing done back in Toronto next week. So if you're looking at this, like how do you put your eggs, all your eggs into the basket that we got to finish this series off in game five? Yeah, I think, I think one thing, and I, I need to look at the, the minutes again, and this is just anecdotal, but it didn't seem like, if I recall, Harden and Maxi were staggered together. Um, they went with that kind of that Harden plus three or four bench guys for a lot of the game when Joel was out. Mm-hmm. And I thought Maxi and Harden been really key to unlocking each other during the non Joel minutes in this series with their two man game, that screening action, whether it's Maxi for Harden or Harden for Maxi. Um, I think that's something they got to get back to a little more. I know that it seems like Doc is still trying to figure out the best way for minutes to work when Joel's off the floor. Um, but I thought those two playing a lot together has worked well in this series, just kind of their, the, the, how much attention the Raptors are still kind of devoting to Harden and they, they played him more straight up today. That was a big adjustment that I talked about on various podcasts after game two or after game three as well. They played him more straight up and you saw some of how that affects his playmaking and his scoring, but I'd still try to go back to that. Um, but you know, with Harden, it's just, his scoring is so much tied to the jumper at this point. Um, two of eight from three today. Had a couple of nice threes, but you still need him to go at least three of eight, which isn't changing the entire complexion, of course. But that's kind of the point, right? Is you, you go three of nine inside the arc, you got to go better than two of eight outside the arc because that's where you're kind of going to get your most comfortable shots. And I, I, I know he didn't score efficiently today, efficiently today, but I thought Harden was like, you're not saying this, you're not saying this, but I thought Harden was probably the least of the Sixers worries in the starting lineup in terms mm-hmm. of offense. Maybe, maybe you could say Tobias, who was very good, especially in the first half attacking downhill, but. I thought Harden did well, draw fouls, get get to the rim, do things like that. Um, so that, but that that's the main ch- change I would make is just try to stagger them together more and really tap into that two man game that's that's helped both of them through these at least the first three games, not so much in game four. But um, yeah, but I, otherwise, I, I don't. I, there's not a great answer for Harden because it seems like his interior scoring or just two point scoring is um, more limited than it's been in prior years because of the you know the lack of explosiveness and all that. But um, yeah, the two-man game with him and Maxi would be a, a place that I would kind of go back to moving forward. Yeah, we didn't see a lot of the of the of the two-man game like the pick and roll that we saw between Maxi and Harden a lot in in this one. And even even when the Sixers were down in the third quarter and they were you know chipping away at the lead, I still felt like they were going to be able to pull it off. And as I mentioned earlier, they were only down by three going into the fourth. So again, considering how bad they played overall. They still had a chance to win this game. And, and as I mentioned, with, with the shooting struggles of Embiid, Maxi, and Harden combined, still wasn't a too bad of a place for Philly to be in. Uh, Jackson, want to jump into some other big picture stuff? Let's do that after a short break. All right, and we're back. Uh, Jackson, we're talking a little bit about the big picture stuff here as we as we get into the second half of the pod. Looking at it with not having Matisse Thibel, who, again, hasn't had a huge impact, didn't have a huge impact in the first two games, but offers the Sixers a little bit more depth. They were basically going with eight guys in this one like they did in in, in game three. But having Thibel back, not saying it's going to make a world of difference, but how much do you think that'll help 
Philly having him back in the lineup for game five? Yeah, I think just, I think it could help. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think he's doing much against Pascal Siakam. I think you could definitely see some benefits against Gary Trent Jr., who's been better in these first, you know, these couple of games in Toronto. Um, was pretty good, I thought, you know, on both ends, even uh, in in this one, you know, had a nice poke out steal on Harden, had that nice rotation on an beat to get past him, might have been, a, you know, a tad late, um, you know, dissecting things. But that's the biggest thing. I think just Gary Trent Jr. is so key, especially with, you know, with Fred Van Vliet, probably not. I mean, I don't want to speculate, but just the way he reacted to coming off the floor, it seems unlikely that we we get him at least back for game five in two days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think the fact that Gary Trent is going to be so key for their perimeter offense, I mean, even their defense to an extent, I guess that doesn't really affect Matisse, but just slowing Gary's ability to kind of get to his spots and whatnot is important. Obviously they didn't, I mean, they didn't go to another guard, you know, they, they played Malachi Flynn at times in the series, but they didn't go to him. Uh, once Fred Van Vliet left the game, they didn't even go to Ken Burch at all. So they're clearly kind of going with just, if you're, if you're six, seven to six, nine, and you can play in the rotation and, and also Gary Trent. Um, it might be, I think it's six, four, six, five, I don't recall exactly, but anyhow, I think Matisse, you know, just his ability to kind of bother Gary, Gary would really be key moving forward. I think they missed him at times in this game. Um, but I don't think the defense was really like the main issue for the Sixers in this one. It was the offense and Matisse doesn't help your offense as we all know. So, um, that's the big thing is maybe you can get a couple of steals of, you know, one of those rear view blocks and ignite the transition game for a hardened Maxi Embiid. Um, cause that's really the only time you saw the Sixers, have any kind of sort of rhythm in this game is maybe like when Joel returned in the second quarter, when they were getting some stops and um, Joel was getting those deep seals and, you know, finding some rhythm, I thought individually, which kind of permeated throughout the entire team. So um, that's kind of the, the only thing is Matisse is just ability to slow a guy like Gary Trent, get you out in transition more. And the Raptors have no answer for Joel in early offense. Um, but obviously in the half court, they've had a little more success or a lot more success in, you know, in game four's case against Embiid. Looking at the at the impact of the thumb injury to Joel, like we're hearing a bunch of different things, and and Doc did say before the game that it, it doesn't look good, and he wouldn't confirm that if it was or wasn't a torn ligament. Although that is basically the the rumors that we're hearing that 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 is the issue. Uh, should get an MRI when they get back to Philly. But looking at that, like how much of an impact is that going to have, Jackson? Like I'm a 49ers fan, so I know Jimmy Garoppolo. Not going to talk about him as a QB, but I mean he had a torn UCL ligament in his in his uh, throwing hand. Saw him struggle with that. You know, didn't didn't have a very good performance in the playoffs. But uh, obviously, basketball a different game than than football. But looking at it, like, do you think that is going to play uh, not only a short term role in and how the Sixers do, but long run as well? Yeah, I think I. I think the biggest thing that I noticed in this one um, is is not so much the shots themselves because like they like I don't know what broadcast you watched today, but um, they were showing a couple of like after the first quarter when Embiid is 05, like mm-hmm. they showed a couple of plays where he missed shots and it was like th- those are shots that the Sixers will take from Joel uh, every game every time, um, but more so the ability and willingness to kind of face. The, that handsy, aggressive defense from Toronto that's really digging in on his gathers and his drives and whatnot. And this is, I'm not saying that Toronto's like intentionally targeting his thumb or anything, but like that's just the, that's just a byproduct of it, right? That like if you're going to try and stunt and dig and whenever he puts the ball on the ground, you might swipe with his, his thumb. And, and, and that, that is going to be something that maybe he's conscientious of and he wants to avoid because he doesn't want to like allow it to be exacerbated. And again, I'm not, I'm not like saying or advocating by any means for Toronto to like, target those things, but just something that maybe he's cognizant of because he knows how handsy pre and post thumb injury 
this defense is against him. And so um, maybe he's a little less willing to call for the ball as often. I don't know if that was necessarily the case. I'd have to go and compare, you know, Joel through, you know, regular season versus, you know, the second half of game three and and, in totality of game four Mm -hmm. to really know, but um, just kind of what I noticed, it just felt like he wasn't as, especially, you know, he talked, I think he talked post game three when he did his like walk-off interview about how he was a little too passive in the first half and then was really aggressive in the second half and obviously had 28 points and was awesome. It just felt like, especially as you mentioned earlier, when he came in with about nine and a half minutes to go, he wasn't as aggressive and they, they ran some other stuff and Harden had a couple of nice plays early in the stint, but um, that's the biggest thing I know is it's not the shots themselves, but just how often maybe he's willing to work for some of those shots, which maybe is going to force him to be more creative. Fortunately for Sixers, Joel has become a very good off ball scorer, whether it's picking pops, attacking off the catch, cutting. So maybe try and get a little more of that going, which requires Harden and Maxi and even Tobias to an extent to really kind of up their game and their, their ability to kind of, tilt the defense, which I think they can do collectively, but um, obviously it's not as easy as just giving the ball to Joel to face up spots at the elbow or, or whatnot. I have to say this, Jackson, I know the fans don't want to hear this. Doc Rivers up three, one in a series. This is he's blown of the lead several times before when you're, when you're looking at that, are you worried at all about the coaching matchup? Are you confident? Are you still confident? The Sixers are going to, are going to be able to win this series. I know I am I'm like, I'm not saying it like that. Like they, they should, they're up three to one, but is there any doubt in your mind creeping in after this one that, uh-oh, we could be in for a much longer series than we expected after game three? I don't think my mind shifted. You know, I, I, I will say I thought the Sixers would win this game. Um, so I guess in that sense, like I was wrong. And But I, I beyond just the general respect for Toronto and the fact that the Toronto won 48 games this year, despite, you know, some you know, some suboptimal context and in, in circumstances. No, my, my, my thoughts don't change. I think the Sixers have looked better at home, which is funny because the last, you know, th- this past season, they were, they're better on the road than they were at home, but um, they just seem better connected on both ends a little bit, um, you know, at home, which is normal. And so I expect them to win game five, but again, I expected them to win, win game four. Um, but, you know, it, it required some, some really good performances, um, from Toronto, and that's not to say they didn't grow good performances from the Sixers and to win the first three games. But you look at you know Thad Young going six of nine, Chris Boucher four of five, Siakam ten of 19, 15 free throws. Um, I, I don't expect him to get fifteen free throws. And this isn't to say that he didn't earn his free throws, but um, it's just not something he's done throughout the series. Um, it's, you know, getting the line that often. So uh, I I don't have a ton of worry, and and maybe it never comes, but it still seems like at some point there's going to be a Danny Green game that that could be too too optimistic, but he's getting good looks. I know that Danny's had some struggles, you know, historically from, from three in the playoffs, but um, it just seems like he's due for a game where he goes four of seven or five of seven, something like that. Now he didn't look great defensively, made some tough spot, had some tough plays. You don't want him taking three twos. Um, That's not really his game, but uh, yeah, I don't really worry much beyond just the general respect of Toronto being a good team that won 48 games this year and, you know, has good players, but I I expect the Sixers to win, you know, I won't say handily, but I, I don't think it'll come down to the final 0.9 0.9 seconds like it did in game three in their last one yeah they were they were able to again looking back at, at the first two games that the Sixers played in in Philly in this series they were dominant you know other than that one second the first quarter part of me in game two where the the Raptors held a held a one-point lead going in into into the second the Sixers have been great dynamite so far at home basically throughout the first two games so again not worried about it but as I mentioned before if 
if Toronto pulls it off in Philly on Monday, then yeah, the callers are going to start tightening up a little bit because again, you're going to be on the road again for, for a game six. So hopefully that's not the case. Uh, Jackson, we'll get out of here on this. I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. What's your prediction for, for game five in Philly on Monday? I'll, I'll say they'll win one, one eighteen, one Oh six. I just, like I said, they just looked better at home. Um, they just seem energized there. And like, I, I feel like that's cliche, but I feel like their, their ability to get out in transition has been better. Their rotations off the ball defensively have been better. Um, and you know, I, I just, I don't expect some of the things that happened in games three and four that made them really tight. And obviously the final one, you know, the most recent one went in the, the Raptors favor to sustain. So, um, I'll say a nice, a nice comfortable one, but not one that's like a 20 point blowout or one that's, you know, teetering around 25, like it was in game, game one, even game two at times. So, um, but one comfortably, but I don't think it's going to, but I don't think it's going to be some blowout. I think it'll just be one where they're generally the, in the driver's seat, but it's always a little, little close than maybe Sixers fans want, but never one that has them on pins and needles. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's going to be important Jackson that they, that they can come out and, and you have a good start in, in game five. I think they're able to, Yeah, I was, I was wondering, have they been the first team to score in any of these games yet? I don't, I don't, I don't think have, so. Right? No. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm hoping that they, that that changes. Cause I, you know, and I think they're going to need a big quarter from Joel uh, first quarter in, in, in game five, just to set the tone early and, maybe show the Raptors that, hey, we're willing to make the adjustments and and we're comfortable with however you want to play us. But again, got to have Maxi Embiid, Harden at least rolling. Harden, again, doing a great job of playmaking, maybe not shooting the ball as well, but they need their big guns to to deliver. And I think if they do, with what we've seen with from Tobias in terms of his consistency on both ends of the floor, although dealing with, looks like he did injure his left leg, don't know exactly what it is yet. Uh, so that remains to be seen how much of a factor that is. I think the Sixers, again, in a pretty good spot. Overall, up three to one in the, in this series. It couldn't ask for anything more than a split had they lost game three and then won this game. Everybody would be on cloud nine going back to Philly up up three to one. Uh, we'll wrap things up there, Jackson. want to thank you for joining me as always. And we'll do this again on Monday following game five. Yeah, happy to uh, talk Sixers. And, you know, hopefully for Sixers fans sake, uh, we're, we're happy to win. But uh, regardless, there'll be stuff to talk about, I'm sure. All right, man. Enjoy your weekend. Yeah, you too. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Sixers Daily. Again, I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. We're going to have you covered all the way throughout Philly's playoff run. Of course, hoping it's a deep one. And check out Jackson's work, Paul Hudrick, of course, Sean Kennedy, Steve Lipman, a bunch of talented writers also at libertyballers.com.